So it's very difficult. We're trying to communicate not a worldly kind of love. We're talking about something that came from heaven that, like Spurgeon said, is so immense and so huge that it's intended to overwhelm us to the point that we want to get as close to Him as we can. When I teach in prayer, I always do this stuff. When we teach on prayer, I talk about how the Lord spoke to me all those years ago, and He said, you know, because everybody expects us to teach on prayer, prayer for the nations, and we do teach a lot on prayer. But I always give this illustration. When the Lord said to me, He said, do you love your wife? And I said, yes, I love my wife. And He asked me again, you know, it was like with Peter, you know, feed my sheep thing. He said, do you love your wife? And I said, yes, I love her. And he said, do you like being with her? Now think about it. He said, do you like being with your wife? I said, yeah, I really do. I'm a weird husband. <laughs> I like being with my wife. I love her. And then he said this to me. I never will forget it was so simple, but God deals with me in simple terms. He said, son, he said, you have to understand. Then to me, he said, prayerlessness is possibly far more dangerous than my people realize. He said, because to me, prayerlessness is a sign of little love. He said, because if you really love somebody, you will do everything you can to find a way to be near them. Don't tell me you don't. You don't. Don't you? See, now, when people have been married 30 and 40 years, sometimes that love grows cold, doesn't it? Hey, I told you I loved you when I married you. You know, the old joke. I don't have to tell you I love you every day. Or like here it is, but think about it. This is what Jesus said the problem is going to be in the last days. He said the love of many will wax cold. It will grow cold. So please hear what I'm trying to say. We've got churches full of people that are in there studying doctrine, in there just learning how to be church people instead of falling in love with God. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? We've got churches full of people that are just, instead of going to bingo parlors, instead of having another hobby, now they've translated all their interests to church. But church wasn't meant to be just a place where you go to have fellowship with people because your life will be blessed by knowing good people, but your life will only be changed by knowing God. Hear what I'm trying to say? So this is, this is why I'm saying to see it's difficult but it's not impossible. We have to, like I said, make up for lost time. This is why we've got to walk slowly through all this stuff and dare to believe that what Jesus has done, He's actually done. But this is why the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. He that cometh to God must believe that He is. So we're going to have to take some of these things by faith. We have to believe them, not because we feel it, but because God's Word has told us it is true. So I simply believe in Jesus' name that God has already stripped off the old nature, the old man. The old guy that lived in here that made Rod do the stupid things he did before he knew Christ is gone. So if there's a problem, I can't blame it on my old nature. I have to blame it on an undisciplined flesh or an unrenewed mind, and that's my responsibility, no one else's. So I can't blame you. I can't blame anybody else. It's up to me. But this is why, again, what changed my life is when people, I thank God, I got around some people who knew these things and they began to communicate. They spoke the truth preceded by grace. They convinced me of the love of God and then they began to communicate to me about, now that you know how much God loves you, please understand that God's not saying, don't you sin. God's saying, please, don't do this. In other words, there's a difference. He's not going, Rrr. Like this, he's going with tears in his eyes, saying, this will harm your life. 
And there's all the difference in the world between somebody looking at you and saying, you foul, ugly, you know, doing this, and somebody that just knows. You know they love you so much that it's breaking their heart to see what you're going through. That's what, that's what Romans 2, 4 is all about again. It's that love that begins to come from heaven, and you just don't want to hurt. You don't want to hurt someone that just keeps loving you. Not if you've got an ounce of sense. And that's what this grace is all about. In verse 14 again, he said, He canceled, Jesus Christ canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note and the bond with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us. This note with its regulations, its decrees and its demands, he set aside and he cleared it completely. He cleared it completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and the powers that were ranged against us, and he made a bold display and a public example over them and triumphing over them in him and in it his cross. In, excuse me, in him and in it the cross. Verse 16, then listen to what Paul says, Therefore let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food or drink. Now hear me, we're talking about law. See, this is what he's talking about. He said, don't let anybody, you know, well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't eat fish on Sunday, on, on Friday. I mean, you wouldn't eat meat on Friday. You know, all the different denominational little traditional situations that have become their law, their modern day law. Women cannot wear jewelry. You know what I mean? A lot of Christian churches, remember in the States, if a woman wears jewelry, she's going to hell. They'll tell you straight from the pulpit, if you're wearing earrings, sweetheart, you're going to go to hell. You'll burn. I've heard people say that stuff. I remember when I used to hear that like in, uh, you know, just by way of somebody giving an illustration. And then when I started ministering to churches and I'd get around some of these old churches, like I went, my, I mean, it blew my mind. I didn't know that it was for real. There was so much law. I like the thing about if a woman doesn't have her head covered, if she doesn't have... A hat on, I'm telling you, you're going to cook. Whatever it is, you know, women get a lot of, in a lot of trouble, trust me. Women are the ones that always get messed up. Hell makes sure that it's against women. But the point is, it's law. I said it's law. I said it's law. It's not the great, you know, there's no spiritual power in wearing a hat or not wearing a hat, or wearing a tie or not wearing a tie, you know what I mean? Wear them if you want to, don't wear them if you don't want to. But one doesn't make you more holy than somebody else, and that's what all Romans and Corinthians speaks to. He said here again, therefore, in verse 16, let no one sit in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath. And we all know that even people freak out about the Sabbath. But in the New Covenant, you see, it's not a Saturday. They, they get all shook up because they say, well, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a Saturday. And it was. The Saturday was the Sabbath day. But in this covenant, every day is Sabbath. So you don't argue over a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday, or Monday. But people, again, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, and they put people under bondage, and they live the whole faith from a platform of lists of do's and don'ts. And this is what Christ came to do away with, your list of do's and don'ts. And that's why we ought not put it on somebody else. Anyhow, he said in verse 17, such things, in other words, like judgment on matters of food and drink, whatever, he said, such things are only the shadow of things that are to come, and they have only a symbolic value. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it belongs to Christ. Verse 18, he said, let no one defraud you by acting as an umpire or a judge and declaring you unworthy, unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize, insisting on self-abasement. That means you better do this and you better do that. Now, I did, how many of you know I didn't write the Bible? 
right? He said, let no one defraud you by acting as an umpire and declaring you unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize, insisting on self-abasement or worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he claims he has seen, being vainly puffed up by his sensual notions, inflated by his unspiritual thoughts and fleshly conceit, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, supplied and knit together by means of its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Now I'm just going to read verse 20. I'm reading so much here, I need to get to my notes. Uh, 